into the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. And welcome once again to the spoiler room, folks. Thank you for joining us on this cold, cold evening. And I figured with the temperatures the way they are, plus the fact that uh, I'm I'm working with, uh, you know, uh, titles this year uh, this month that uh, are are a bit vague on what they name so tonight's very fitting last week we kicked off our uh it came from the 50s with it came from outer space and now tonight we are going to talk about john carpenter's thing i mean john carpenter's the thing two completely different things and tonight <laughs> to join me on this journey through the cold tundra is a great group of crew members who have decided to brave it, come down to the spoiler room and talk about this film. First off, the diva of the spoiler room is back. She is here with us tonight. Say hello to Dawn. Hello, Dawn. Hello, Mark. Good evening, gentlemen. So glad you could join us this evening. And next to Dawn, the BFD is back in the spoiler room. He is the one and only Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. Hello. Are you ready to talk about John Carpenter's thing? I am here to talk about John Carpenter's thing because it's the right thing to do. It is the <laughs> right thing to do. <laughs> I think you got something going there. Oh, wow. This is worse than it. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't even done that episode yet. And next to the BFD, the uh, Bowtie Man himself. Once again, it's Mr. Paul Salzer. Hello, Paul. Hi, I'm uh, ready for this episode. I got my thermal bow tie on, so I'm well warmed up. Does that thermal bow tie warm you completely? Because I know you hardly wear anything else. So It's very true. It is very, very insulated. It's very insulated, and some things have gone into hibernation, right? <laughs> so tonight, <laughs> going back to 1982, we are looking at John Carpenter's The Thing. Now, uh, who here would like to try to brave... The summary of John Carpenter's The Thing. I can try. Go for it, Paul. All righty. Let's see. The Thing is, first of all, written by Bill Lancaster and directed by, of course, John Carpenter. Uh, The the film is about an alien life form who crash lands on Earth at about, like, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh, And then we find a group of American researchers at a remote research facility in, I think, Antarctica. And they investigate the strange happening at the Norwegian site because, hey, we love going Norwegian. And uh, they inadvertently take part of the creature back with them to the facility. And this film is basically uh, a very thrilling film because the alien life form can assimilate these other living creatures and they basically... it creates these perfect copies of them so the researchers are kind of this thrown into this environment of distrust and suspicion because they don't really know who who in the facility is real and who is the alien so it's it's amazing awesome nice summary there yes this is a classic uh, horror film, uh, some of John Carpenter's best work, I think, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But as always, we go down and we'll find out how people initial feelings with uh, the thing. Don, the thing, what do you think about this thing? This is one of the few movies that I actually remember when I saw it first. Um, I, it was in the early 80s and we were at, I was with my family at a hotel and that it scared me and it was memorable and it stuck with me. Um, it may not be the, it is, it is a good movie and it is fun and it is memorable. It is not funny. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, how about you? 
when uh, you first saw the thing? I think I saw this uh, on a VHS tape in Palmyra, Wisconsin, uh, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, a very interesting movie, uh, and uh, for the time, it was amazing, the special effects. Uh, I thought they were super, super real, uh, but, you know, it, it was, it was uh, a very, very well-done film, and I just I love the suspense because throughout the entire film, I'm constantly just feeling this dread. It's like, oh, who, who is it? Who's it going to be? Who, who's the alien now? You know, and it just it kept me guessing all the time. Loved it. Nice. And Glenn, how about you? I saw this in the theater when it came out. Nice. Um, because I had friends, older brothers who worked at the theater, so I could get into our movies. Um, that, and I was, you know, mutantly huge as a. 10, 11, well, 11, I was 11 when this came Yeah, I was 11 when this came out. Um, I loved it. It's, it's to date still one of my favorite movies. Um, I mean, the effects for the time were groundbreaking, I think, as far as like the makeup and stuff like that. It was just incredible. Um, and man, it's this and, and, there was another movie I watched, uh, Ice Station Zebra. And mm-hmm. I just had this fascination with like Arctic stuff. And I, I could not wait for the first time it would snow so I could just be like out to be like, yeah, we're going to play the thing or Ice Station Zebra with my G.I. Joe guys. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> nice. And yeah, this one this one really stuck with me. And I mean, it's, it's my favorite Carpenter film. Um, yeah, I like it a lot. Yep, and I'm with you on that as well. It is probably my uh, favorite Carpenter film, even more so than Halloween. Uh, There's just so many great elements in it. I remember first seeing it. I was seven, (laughs) and my parents took me to the theater to see this one uh, because that's what my parents did. They took me to stuff like this and Conan. I know. It explains a lot now, doesn't it, Uh <laughs> yeah, terrified the hell out of me. And it stuck with me. And I've watched it many, many times over the years. And I still enjoy it. And watching it again for this episode, especially the Blu-ray, which if people don't follow my Twitter, you should go to go follow our Twitter. But I posted on there that that Blu-ray is freaking gorgeous. It's not even the Shout Factory one that I got, it's just the universal one. Um, but the transfer cleaned up so well and it still holds up because yes, as our fine folks here mentioned the special effects in here, they're all, <laughs> we got no CGI here, folks. Uh, well, except maybe at the beginning, you get a little bit of animation, uh, with the opening. Uh, but other than that, this is all practical all over the place. And it's so beautiful and high def. Uh, holds up, I think, very well. Uh, and yeah, the, the opening of this film, and again, we're talking about the 1982 one, not the prequel, though we probably will touch on that one tonight, maybe. Um, also, uh, before we get any further, I did not plan it this way, but John Carpenter's birthday was yesterday. And unlike what you may have read in Rotten Tomatoes, he is still alive. And we say happy birthday to Mr. John Carpenter. So let's dig into his movie here in this opening where we actually get the spaceship and then we get this image of uh, a helicopter chasing a dog across the tundra. Paul, what do you think about how this film opened? Uh, I think that was a really good way to set the tone of the film, uh, especially the fact that you had a helicopter chasing a dog because you're like, what the heck? You know, if you had no, no, like if this wasn't the, the second, third, fourth, 18th viewing of the film, you wouldn't know what that was all about. And you can just kind of, your brain goes nuts uh, trying to figure out, wow, you know, and then once all the pieces come together, it's like, oh, wow. And it really does, like I said, set the, the tone of the film. It's a great way to begin it and they didn't have to actually explain too much you know they didn't give you uh over exposition about it you know they just okay the uh, aliens crashed and now we start the mystery you know what what is what's with the dog is it the dog is it you know Mm -hmm. uh there's got to be something coming up there and so you you have this anticipation 
Uh, and it just keeps building from that point on. It's It was a really uh, clever way of uh, starting the film. And you get that score, too, which is a minimalistic score in here, really, uh, with that opening. And, yeah, the mystery, I always love when films open up. And this film definitely doesn't hold your hand as far as what's what this actual alien is, because, you know, everything is here is just them speculating as the film goes on but this opening yeah and i love how they gave this dog character (laughs) dawn how'd you feel about the opening and the dog that felt like it was acting (laughs) it 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 did a fantastic job i mean it was i was there are scenes in there that you can tell that the dog was just doing its thing and if there was well according to the commentary there wasn't a trainer it was just doing it um wow. it uh i i thought it was the opening was fantastic i think uh, like you said it set the tone um and when the the other the crew from the helicopter came down and was chasing the dog and and uh, subsequently blew up their own helicopter and huh. it was they were screaming at the americans um, you can't understand a thing they're saying, so you don't know if they're just crazy, if they're going to attack the people, if they're chasing the dog. There's no way to tell. They're just a bunch of crazy people with bombs and guns. Yeah, and they, and, they, and again, it sets that communication vacuum because immediately following that, then you cut to the scene where the radio is down and there's no communication. So it really sets that isolation yeah, and I think that isolation is important for this film because it suddenly becomes kind of the ship in the bottle and makes things a lot more claustrophobic uh, when uh-huh. when you get the radio station, which uh, is one of the reasons why I I didn't mind the quote-unquote prequel, requel, if you will. But at the same time, it was a story I wish they hadn't told because I liked the mystery more. Glenn, how about you with this uh, opening act of, of the dog and and the crazy Norwegians. Um, I mean, being part Norwegian, we are crazy. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's one of the, for me, it's, it's probably one of the least memorable scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if you took it out, it really wouldn't change anything. Sure. I feel so. I mean, eh, eh, <laughs> what about the dog though itself how he uh directed the scenes in that i mean you really feel like there's something more with this dog even though it oh really yeah was. yeah yeah the the dog yeah i mean but i mean eh. <laughs> well after the dog scenario the radio's out they decide that they're going to go Look, uh, investigate the Norwegian camp, which uh, starts uh, unveiling a little bit of the mystery, but bringing up even more questions. Again, sans the prequel. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, we've got a number of guys that we got this group of individual characters who they all have similar. You can tell they have similar skill sets at various degrees of experience because we get Kurt Russell, who's our McReady guy. Uh, you know, he, he's going to be the hero of the film. We catch him in the beginning playing chess with a computer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, to pass the time in the Antarctica. Uh, and uh, he, he destroys, I will cringe at the, say I cringed at the fact he poured his beverage inside the computer because he lost. <laughs> um, I'm like, well, now you can't play anymore. Way to go, dude. Uh, <laughs> But he's the crazy one that takes the helicopter with the doctor to go to the Norwegian campsite. And Glenn, what do we find at the Norwegian campsite? Oh man, it's wrecked. <laughs> wrecked. <laughs> and then they they also find the uh, burnt remains of something. Mm-hmm. Which with know, the two faces. <laughs> oh yeah, with the twisted face. Yep. Which you know. Right, Don, what do you do when you find something like that? You immediately, what, wrap it up and take it back home take with you? Take it back to your base camp and contaminate everything. <laughs> I mean, I know they're a research base or whatnot, but this was one of the moves where I'm like, um, guys? Come on, Alien, Alien was a couple years earlier than this. Didn't they learn from that? 
right? Which there's been a lot of comparisons of this film to Alien. Um, you know, they're saying some people have said it ripped it off. Uh, uh, not really. I, I'm like, eh, no. Nah. Well, the claustrophobic feeling, maybe, but. Well, you know, people trapped on a an isolated thing, and you've got an alien chasing them, killing them. I'm like, well, you could apply that to just about anything, including well, ET it, minus it, the and, killing. And the fact that this was based <laughs> on a book that was, you know, way before Alien. That's very true. Very true. It, it is so. Who knows? Maybe Alien borrowed from it, uh, the thing, not it. <laughs> different books. Don't want to confuse people. But <laughs> how'd you feel with the Norwegian campsite? Did you like the mystery done with around the Norwegian campsite and what you saw and didn't see? Kinda, um, because because I was so young um, when I saw this, and because I saw it around the same time that Iceman came out, mm. parts of the Norwegian site. I had in my brain for a long time when I was younger confused with parts of the movie Iceman because of oh. the big block of ice. Okay, sure. <laughs> you know, thawing out a monster, thawing out an Iceman. It, it got confused in my head when I was younger. Um, and there are definitely, you know, there are extremely minor similarities and that's kind of where it stops. <laughs> This is but really- yeah, the, the Norwegian campsite didn't impress me except for the trivia of it. <laughs> and the nifty and the fact that the blood was frozen in like icicles, that was nifty. Yeah, where they find effects. the guy. Yeah, where they find the guy who slit his throat and wrists. It's uh-huh. like oh man, that's <laughs> because one, it's a gruesome scene. Two, it makes you sit there and go, what the fuck? And three, it shows you just how cold it is in Antarctica. Uh-huh. <laughs> he didn't even finish bleeding out before it all froze. <laughs> Paul, how about you with Norwegians? I love Norwegians, but uh, the scene was uh, interesting. It was, uh, like I said, it added uh, a bit of that suspense because it just kept adding more to the puzzle. And I enjoy that. I like following the little breadcrumbs. Yes, the breakup. Now, would you say, would you say the prequel takes away from that this whole first twenty minutes where we're investigating the uh, because it, that's where the correlation was where they investigate the Norwegian site, which in the prequel of the same name um, was supposed to be telling their story. Do you think that prequel took away if you watch it in order takes away from a bit of the mystery intention that? that this first film has in this first 20 minutes as it builds? Yes, because if you watch it back to back or in order, I think it would ruin it. But I think because there was enough time in between the two films, it didn't, it didn't bother me because it was like, I had all this time to wonder what it was. And then, yeah, it was interesting to see one person's vision of it. It wasn't exactly what I would have envisioned anyways so it didn't bother me but i think if you were to watch it back to back or you know in reverse order i think that would ha- that would ruin the film I-, I really do think that you need some space and some time between the movies to really appreciate them separately yeah i, th- I think you would need to watch them in release order and not in story order what about you glenn the prequel did you see the prequel at all prequel no no the, the- the one also called the thing. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Just to confuse I, you, I had I had no desire to watch it. Mm-hmm. Zero desire at all. Don, how about you? Did you see the requel, as Scotty D would call it? <laughs> I I did see the prequel. Um, I saw it once. I remembered liking it, and that's about uh, the only memory I have of it. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't very memorable. I, I remember being. Thinking, oh, oh, that's really clever how they ended it exactly where the next one picks up. And and yeah, that's about where it stops. <laughs> yeah. And I felt the same way. I mean, the it, by itself, it wasn't bad, though. Watching it, because I love the original, I'm just like sitting there going, man, if there was ever a definition of cash grab. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> you know, definition of of cashing in on a name. I'm like because the way the, Carpenter does the first 20 minutes of the original The Thing in 1982, uh, you don't need the prequel because your brain is going to put pieces together that's probably far more scary than anything portrayed on film. <laughs> Especially when they bring that body in with Split Face, <laughs> which is where we kind of get the first real... Uh, one of like a number, I'd say what four set pieces that really features the special effects and model making in here. Don, what'd you think of Split Face when they first reveal this thing? Creepy. <laughs> I liked it, wasn't as impressive as when uh, Wilfred Brimley uh, started the autopsy, though. Mm. Yes, that was one of my favorite parts. That wasn't as creepy as that, but it was it was creepy. But I was definitely more eked out for, at the autopsy. Him digging out the guts. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, that's it, pretty gross. And again, since it's practical, look real as hell too. Because it, it was. was it it actually was. Um, it, they actually used animal organs. In, really? uh, yeah, they actually use real animal organs. <laughs> that had to smell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they mentioned that it smelled too. <laughs> With all the lights and everything, that day couldn't have smelled well. But but yeah, it, you, you get them unveiling twist split face and the autopsy. Uh, Glenn, how'd you feel with this first kind of reveal in here with the first example of the special effects that are carried throughout this film? It's It's fantastic. I mean, when I saw this as a kid, I was blown away. I mean, mind you, the level of blood and gore in this film um, for 1982, um, especially for, you know, what was pretty much a mainstream release, is pretty high up there. Yeah. Like, way, way up there. And, I mean, if, if I mean, it, it was... It was panned by critics for being for all the excessive gore, and even a lot of the actors... Uh, thought the film was offensive with the final product. So, <laughs> um, but I loved it. I mean, I was, I was fascinated by it because it, it, it was so visceral. Um, yeah, just. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And it, it's uh, for, even though it's something that's grotesque, you'd say it was gorgeous and it carries throughout. We get that similar look because of course it, it had that specific style of special effects they were going for and a specific look for your, ever-changing alien that just that look stays throughout i loved how they maintained that look paul how about you and the the, the special effects especially this first scene where we get the autopsy and the reveal i think it was i think what got, uh, got me was how the level of detail uh that i mean they had the parts that were realistic looking and then they had this kind of like a uh, like it was, it's like the steam coming off the body, so it just it felt like it was it was actually there. You know, if it if they hadn't done that little bit of detail, it just would have looked like you know some kind of a plastic thing. And uh, they just did a that just those little little techniques uh, really put it over the uh, top for me. And I, I think uh, that yeah, they did a really good job there. And it's again the attention to detail. Yeah, and it gives you an idea of. Uh, I think it helps set up the idea for the creature in general, too, because you realize, oh, we're not necessarily getting a xenomorph. We're not necessarily getting a specifically shaped, you know, killer. Right. This thing could take many forms, especially later on when we get that wonderful scene with the dogs. <laughs> I love the dog scene. Uh, because it's just so wild, and, and you know, especially for a mainstream film, uh, Paul, with this dog scene, uh, what'd you think of that? Did you think that really? I mean, we get split face, but then you get to see the alien actually in action. Do you think that really helped set make this beast more terrifying, or did it look hokey? Oh no, I I loved it. The little the the things coming out of the dog and going la 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 all over the place, and <laughs> with with the split face. That you still didn't you you didn't know that that potentially was 
the alien either. That could have just been it mutilated somebody's body until they found out, hey, there's extra organs here. And it's like, ooh, this is kind of weird. Did he merge the two people together? And then it's only when the dog scene comes out did you realize that, oh, it's it is that thing. You know, it is it's coming out, and then it can really do that assimilate assimilation thing. It's just it was it was a good reveal to me, especially at the age that I was when I had watched this and I wasn't young. I was actually a lot older when I watched this. And even then it was just an enjoyable scene to watch. Yeah, it, it is. And it also kind of, I mean, we, we get this group of characters, which, which is a really actually an interesting, diverse group of characters you have in here. Of course it is a sausage fest. Let's put it that way. There are no female characters throughout this film at all. But then again, Hey, 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 what? The voice for his chess. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. The voice for his chest was female. Yes. Was Adrian Barbeau. Yes. <laughs> uh, of course it is because it's John Carpenter's. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, there were no women on the crew either. No. Wow. The, really? The only, the only one that was left because she was pregnant. Oh, huh. wow. <laughs> I did not even realize that. I didn't get a chance to listen to the commentary at all. But but what'd you think of that, Don? I it kind of makes sense with where they're at, kind of, for the time. Or did you have an issue with the fact that there was really no female whatsoever <laughs> presence in the film? Uh number one, it followed the book, so I didn't have a problem with it. Ah, okay. Um at the time in 1982, it made sense for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think changing genders of any of the characters would have made any difference to the story itself, except it would have forced a, okay. So in the original, the thing from outer space, they did put a female in and therefore it forced a romantic angle, Right. putting a female in this would have forced a romantic angle that wasn't needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And really. if they could have put a female character in without that romantic angle, which the audience would have wanted because that's how they worked, um, it would have been fine, but it was also fine the way it was. It didn't need romance and it didn't need a lot of humor. No, it, was- it- seriously the appeal of the movie why it worked then and why i think it still works now it it does work because unlike some horror films that even work even even the more famous ones work a bit of humor in there is no joke you just get heightened paranoia and tension glenn did you like the fact that it it really stays serious throughout this film which is something especially in horror films today you don't exactly get anymore you don't get it in a lot of films you know i mean the 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 entire feel of it is just bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's really no happiness in this film. It is it is dark and it is bleak and it is you know uh, depressing. Um, but I think that all serves the story so well. I mean, it it, it creates this this it, it it creates the perfect atmosphere for this. Yeah, it sets it up, I think, well to where you buy into people's fairly quick jump to paranoia <laughs> and distrust in this. Because this group of individuals, already when we're meeting them, I mean, yeah, they they seem like a decent group of guys that work together. But at the same time, you do get the feeling they've been up in the Antarctic for a while. <laughs> and it's it's gotten to them a little bit. And they get on each other's nerves occasionally with this group. And... You're right. It is bleak, though. You don't have your Star Trek crew of everybody gets along in this. <laughs> and that paranoia, I mean, that kicks in fairly quick, especially as Wolford Brimley comes to the conclusion that, oh, hey, by the way, it could be any one of us. <laughs> but yet, who's the first person they suspect, Paul? The guy with the theory of, hey, it could be any one of us. <laughs> of course you would, because he is, you know. He's the guy. He's throwing shade, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I would, you know, I've I've been in enough role playing sessions to always suspect the guy that gives 
the most amount of information because that person knows a little bit too much, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't want me in some kind of apocalyptic scenario because yeah, I probably wouldn't trust you guys at all. <laughs> The thing is, the way the way that plays out with Wilfred Brimley's character is you can see his process and you mm. can watch him come to that realization and then kind of lose it. And it all kind of he sabotages their entire way of getting out of the Antarctic before they um, isolate him. Mm-hmm. And before, presumably, spoiler him, folks, he turns into the thing. Yes. <laughs> so he's already made sure that they nobody can get out. And then he gets infected and, you know, does what he does. Well, that's what's great. About- in his secret lair. Yes, he's got a secret lair. Well, that's what's great about the thing, though. It can be in multiple people and still be the same. Yeah organism uh-huh. which is an interesting concept on this and glenn there's no allegory going on in here at all is there no 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 it's none of that happening in this at all <laughs> this this movie is simply straight up what it is nothing means anything snow is snow alien is alien mccready is a beard that's what it is <laughs> i thought it was about the government <laughs> what, what would you say, Gwen? Would you, would you say there's some uh, there is some underlying messages in this film, and any of them stand out to you? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think the most important thing is um, when you find uh, strange two-headed corpses, don't you know just bring them back to your house. That's probably I'm on the, board with that. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's also. I mean, it's <laughs> this. This is this is all. Of, I mean, you can interpret it as. I mean, when it was when it was when it was released, is this you know kind of a uh, communism? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's just just like the blob was the same way. It was all about trying to contain communism. Because communism is this thing that will spread from person. It'll infect your friends and your family, and you won't know they're communists until it's too late. And oh, now you're a communist too. That's how it works. Let me tell you what John Carpenter said in the commentary. Oh yes, Todd, because you you actually did research. <laughs> hey, I love the commentary that that John Carpenter and. Uh, Kurt Russell did for Big Trouble in Little China. I was hoping for something that fun. That one was hilarious because they yeah. talk about each other's personal lives for most of it. Yeah, they didn't do that in this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, so what they did, what John Carpenter mentioned in this one is not communism, but AIDS. I was going to, you beat me to it. I was wondering if it was more of a sexual angle. I mean, in fact. Yeah, it was. Like you said so. He did. Oh, cool. Okay, I wasn't. It, off it's AIDS, and that's why the blood testing. Now, if if later we're talking anything, what the actual person who made it said doesn't matter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but now that you said that, I, I remember that now because I listened to the commentary. I don't know how long ago. I had just completely forgotten the whole AIDS thing. <laughs> so oh, I, I rolled my eyes so hard I got dizzy. <laughs> And that's the thing. When I was watching it, I'm like, you know, everybody talks about communism, but when I finished the film, I'm like, huh. And now you just confirmed it because unfortunately your host, I guess, doesn't do his research. Didn't get a chance to listen to the commentary, but I'm glad you brought that up. I, I wasn't way off then. Uh, and now you look at the way it's set up, it makes a lot of sense, including the blood test, which added to one of probably the most one of the more famous scenes in this film, though there are so many. <laughs> but this kind of goes back to Paul. Uh, we covered last week the it came from the 50s. We It came from outer space. Here we have a film that's almost 30 years later, 
and still talking about the same stuff. <laughs> People are paranoid about their neighbors. Gosh darn it. <laughs> right? Yes. They're, they're strange and, and, and they could be, you know, some oddball. And well, after 9-11, the same stuff happened. We we're we we're all afraid of our neighbors again. So it's it's just it keeps going. It's it's a theme that's universal. I mean, I bet you the first time we land on an alien planet. We we will we will live out that experience where where everyone on this alien planet will fear each other, their neighbors more than they'd fear us who had landed there. So yeah, I, I, I think we'll take one step off, and they're going to oh. shoot us. Oh, you think so? <laughs> We're likable. We write stories about ET and stuff. Yeah, they're going to get the TV mess because the TV waves travel. They're going to get the message of John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> Oh and God! Go, Holy crap! These guys <laughs> are going to come and us. torch us. <laughs> they expect to autopsy, so so that we, we we should give them the autopsy that they're going to give right. everybody. The oh alien no! Autopsy. Oh my God! Uh, I'm so never going to be on it. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, Don, because that was the uh, feeling I got while watching this. So um, I, I'm glad to know that I, I wasn't too far off on that uh but uh so you get these themes of mistrust you get this series of bleak and tension but paul does this get bleak to the point where it's no longer entertaining or is is there still a lot of entertainment horror wise to be had thrills and tension and such all those things we like for horror films or does it just get too nihilistic and bleak for you to enjoy it not for me it just kept building and building even up to the very end. It was so, you know, it was up to that point of, I had to keep guessing and I like to find, you know, I like to find meaning in films and I like to think, Oh yeah, I, I figured this out a long time ago. And this movie just kept me guessing up to the end because, you know, that'll be a question that I'm going to ask you guys later on uh, is, you know, is that, that type of thing that, that whole idea of of uh, do I understand this movie or or did it actually throw me for a loop? Because I didn't know I didn't think about the AIDS thing. Honestly, I didn't, mm-hmm. and I well, just took it a different way. And but uh, I'm I'm meandering again. <laughs> no, no, you're not. No, but I mean, well, what's interesting is a lot of people don't think I think quite so much about AIDS at eighty two. That's 80, true because they're trying to avoid it. Yeah. You know, I mean, am I off on that at all, Glenn? But in the 82, that wasn't exactly in the news as much as it was later on in the late 80s, early 90s. I think AIDS is more associated at that time. But, uh, I mean, it was around in 82, so. It, um, it was it was around in 82, but it was also, it wasn't known to the, the average average household like it was later on. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you, when you get into the, and, and, I mean, but I mean, it was known in Hollywood. Sure. It was, it was known in California. Mm, sure. Yeah, and that so that's what f- surprised me that I was thinking that, and then when Don confirmed, I'm like, huh. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't think of that in the early '80s, but it was around a lot longer than the media may have you think. Um. So uh, before we get to our, our panel's questions, there's a lot of things that uh, we can still talk about with this film. I don't want to go too long tonight, but uh, I want to get. Everybody here, uh, before we get to your questions, everybody's favorite special effects scene. And we'll start with Glenn. Out of all the, because we get a number of set pieces in here with special effects, what would you say was probably your favorite? Oh, my favorite is, you got to be fucking kidding. When the head head falls off and it skews across the room. Yeah, That, that, that right there. I mean, that is... Oh man, yeah. It, it, that's probably one of the only real like humor points, but at the same time, it's not because everybody in the audience is thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> I love Spiderhead. Spiderhead is awesome, oh. and it's one of the most amazing special effects. You look at it today on the Blu-ray. I watched it. I'm like, holy crap! This looks awesome. This is just freaking awesome. Oh, excellent scene on there, 
Don, how about you? Did you have a favorite scene in here? Oh gosh. Um, well, I like, I definitely like that whole sequence, the one that, that uh, Glenn just brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the scene with the dogs and that, that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. when, when the, the dogs, the face fell apart and then the dog is squirting the goo all over at the other dogs. <laughs> but part of the reason I like that and part of the reason that is now going to forever be one of my most memorable scenes is learning what this stuff that the alien, that the thing was squirting at the other dogs was actually uh, Twinkie goo. Twinkie ah. goo? Yeah, baby. Yeah. I will. Yes. The alien squirted Twinkie goo. That is awesome. Oh. That will now be forever one of my favorite effects. That is awesome. And this is why I love practical effects because practical effects guys come up with the craziest shit to pull off some of the coolest effects. You would not think of using Twinkie goo, but now that I do, I you're right. Now I won't ever look at that scene the same way again yep. <laughs> or, a, or a Twinkie for that matter. Uh, <laughs> Paul, how about you? The Twinkie. Oh, uh, I am going to say the the my favorite scene was probably uh, Palmer's blood test. Oh yes, because yeah. I was I wasn't expecting that. I expected the you know because hey we're gonna save you for last, and he just kind of dips it in there and it jumps off, and that was it was so blah, I was not expecting it. And as jump scares go, that was a really good one for me. And also too the the special effect itself, it looked like you know it just it came out and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't something superly overly elaborate, but it was it was simple and it was so believable. <laughs> yeah. And then he starts freaking out on the couch and you get the guys <laughs> tied on it. I know. Oh my god. But love it. What I think makes that scene work even better is the fact that after they torch that guy, <laughs> they go right back to testing. Yes. <laughs> No, no, you can't trust. You can't trust. You you know because some movies, you know, and I'll say more modern horror. Yeah, I'll have a get off my lawn moment. But you know, (laughs) they found the the one imitator. So okay, I guess that everybody else is okay. No, after they set fire, and and all I gotta say is where they whoever made this Antarctic base (laughs) should be given props for how fireproof the walls are in this place. But though they did have the fire extinguishers, but still, holy cow, lots of places, parts get flamed and still make it. Um, it's asbestos, man. Asbestos. asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they go back to testing. I just love that bit. The fact that, oh, no, we're not done. Uh, <laughs> you're just like, oh, oh great. <laughs> uh, I will say... Um, Everybody here picked great moments, and and, uh, I have a lot of favorites in this movie, but one of them that's memorable to me is one that's it's really not that elaborate, but it was in the trailer. It was it it was memorable just because it was so simple and effective is near the end of the film. They're blowing up the base. They, They these guys have resigned themselves at the fact that they are not getting out of here alive, but neither is this alien. So they start blowing up the base and what ends up happening is there's a hallway with boards on it and the alien travels underneath it. And I believe it's when they're blowing it up or just before they blow it up. And as it travels underground, it's knocking the boards up as it moves along and then it pops up out of the ground and you get kind of the full view of it, but it's not really the full view of it because <laughs> you never really get the idea of what the full form of this alien is. Um, but I just love that scene. Cause I thought it was effective how they're running away from the, the boards popping up and, and it pops out of the ground and it's just like, Holy crap. That thing's ugly. Uh, <laughs> and other things start popping out of its side that it's already assimilated. Um, yeah, I just I I really dig that scene quite a bit um, near the end. And like I said, we, we blow up the whole base and we get to our final scene where we have two people left. The fantastic Keith David and Kurt Russell. 
because we haven't mentioned too much of the cast, but uh, you can look on IMDb for it. But Keith David's in it. He's he's awesome in here. Um, and you get him, and we get an ending that leaves questions still unanswered. So, uh, speaking of questions, then we're going to go down our panel here and get a few questions from them. Uh, we'll find out if they have a question for the group, and we'll start with Paul because he mentioned he had one before. So, Paul. Uh, what was the uh, specific question that you wanted to ask the panel tonight? And you transitioned into my question so well. I want to know what you think is if if Childs or McReady or neither of them were infected at the end of the film. Ooh, Don, is which one, if any, are infected? Uh, um. <sighs> <laughs> okay, so I don't think either of them was infected. Um, uh-huh. I believe, um, well, and it doesn't help that having just watched the commentary doesn't help actually, <laughs> you know. Um, and honestly, I'm not sure that it necessarily matters if either one of them was infected. Mm. Mm. Um But I don't think either one of them was. It 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 leads it to. I mean, they had power struggle between the two the whole time, switching leadership of leading the sheep of the rest of the field. So <laughs> here you have the two basically alphas left. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just I, I'm just really dwelling on the ending mm-hmm. um, a, a lot. Um, but I don't. I don't think either one of them was infected at the end. I'm pretty sure that uh, they put the they put the punctuation on the on the destruction of the thing um, by that little in by that little sound effect of it screaming at the end as they mm-hmm. were uh, mm-hmm. burning it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, burn it with fire. It with fire. <laughs> Glenn, how about you, sir? Do you think one of them was infected? Are they both? Well, I mean, it depends how much you read into what you're seeing on the screen. Mm-hmm. One of them isn't breathing. Oh. I've I've heard of that theory. Yeah, if, that one if, you, the- if you look at them when they're both talking, every time McCready talks, you can see his breath. Every time Childs talks. You can't. Oh. <laughs> now, whether or not that was an intentional thing, and there's rumors that someone who sp- spoke with John Carpenter, John Carpenter said, well, it's, it's obvious because, uh, but there's no actual proof of that conversation happening. But that's, in, in my watching it, that's one of the things. Plus, plus the whole thing of the, where were you, childs? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole time he's just off. Now, it doesn't prove anything. I mean, it could also just be camera angles or the lighting of the way it was filmed at the time, but but hey, um, I, th- I think it's left ambiguous on purpose so that people like us will have these conversations about whether or not one of, one of them was the thing afterwards. Um, well, if, if, if you go with John Carpenter's uh, declaration that the video game is part of canon, yeah. then Childs dies and mm-hmm. McCready is the only survivor. But what does the creator know? You know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He's just the director. What I think the he director? likes to play with his audiences. He <laughs> does. I mean, especially him. He just he gets a kick out of it, I think. Um, Paul, to answer your own question, what do you think? Uh, I was actually going to side with, or I am siding with what Don said in that uh, I think neither one are. And I think that whole point of them sharing the bottle of scotch was sort of the, the you know, as much as the, the explosion was the punctuation for the death of the thing, I think that sharing of the scotch was the punctuation on the end of distrust. So, you know, they finally sort of trusted each other or maybe they just chose not to care about it maybe as much and i thought that's that's the ending that i want to have and so that's that's what i believe is that neither one is and see i i took it as neither one as well 
and at the same time though i love it because while i think they both finally come to the reality that probably neither one is either you can still tell there's a bit of doubt (laughs) there's still even in the end they're both going to freeze to death before anyone rescues them and even up till the end there's still just a little bit of distrust of well (laughs) you know if you just take it at the end of this movie and not include any um video games or comic books because there was i guess a comic book sequel to this film Okay, so even even excluding those, um, I guess, and I, like I said, I've been really thinking about this ending. Um, I guess I was kind of comparing in my brain, uh, comparing the ending of the thing with the ending of Jaws. Ooh. So here you've got Childs running off to search for uh, Will Brimley, mm-hmm. and. Like uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss' character goes down into the cage to try to whatever new battle with Jaws. And you got Roy Scheider's character who ends up blowing it up, which is what (laughs) McCready does. And then at the end of all of it, after everything is defeated, the um, child's character, the um, Hooper character come back and they get together and kind mm-hmm. of decide how they're going to proceed. It's, it's very comparable and very kind of pointless for the child super character. <laughs> Unless he's actually a shark. Unless he's actually a shark, but it kind of proves, I mean, it, it kind of removes them from the actual heroics of the end and kind of says, you know, were they a yeah. coward or were they really trying to do something? Oh, I get what you see. So even though Childs had the flamethrower, he was hiding out, possibly because he just didn't trust anyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or he was just scared. Or he was so just he waited scared. until everything ended. So he was waiting to see who was the last man standing and then decide whether or not that person was worthy enough to get torched. <laughs> we yeah, didn't even have to because if he was the last was man thinking. yeah which just which to be again, sure which kind of you know it, it <laughs> if you go with the cowardice angle he's definitely human right yeah yeah and there's a lot of different ways you can interpret it which i love the ending of this this is one of the best endings to a horror film because you Absolutely. don't get you you don't get a setup for a sequel or you know you don't get the last bit of the alien scooching across the ice or whatever. No, you just, these two guys sharing a drink waiting for the fires to go out and them to freeze. it. <laughs> and you don't get the answer of, are they, or aren't they? I, I yeah, the, the ending. There, there, is, there's a ton of theories. I mean, like there's the whole theory about the bottles mm-hmm. and the drink being uh, actually is kerosene. Oh, jeez. Oh. Because he was using the JB bottles as Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he hands Childs the bottle. He does not take a drink himself. And as soon as Childs takes a drink, they play the sinister music. And it's like this whole theory that that was a test. Because if Childs was human, he would spit it out like, what the fuck, man? You just gave me gasoline to drink. Mm-hmm. If it was the thing, it wouldn't know the difference between kerosene and alcohol. Huh. Wow. So there, there's there's lots of theories that are thrown out there. And, and though I mean, you know, there's the thing of the whole thing is they think it's a test because the whole time McCready has still has a flamethrower. That's true. Yeah. Under it's it's hidden under his uh on his back. So it's it's the lots of things that, you know, it it's almost like he, they intentionally put in these things that could be red herrings to make you think that one of them is the thing because that's what they want you to think because it just makes you constantly think of the, of the whole distrust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, and just everything child says, you know, it's like, did you kill it? Yeah. Well, Blair was gone for all of that. I mean, uh, Charles was gone for all of that. Um, I mean, it, the last thing he knew is they were going to do a blood test. That's the last thing child's knew. Yeah. 
he didn't witness anything else after that. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I just think it's interesting. It it is very interesting and. It, again, like I said, even to this day, for all the movies I've watched, I I love the ending of this film. It's so yeah. good, it's a great question, Paul. So, Glenn, how about you? Did you have anything that we might not have covered tonight that you may want to ask the group? No, that was, I mean, that whole ending part was what I would have sure definitely talked about. It's it's, it's like the biggest question mark at the very end. So. Yeah, Don, how about you? Anything we didn't touch on? No, me too. I want to talk about the end. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so uh, so here's the question then they're out in a remote nothing do you think they actually ever get rescued or do you nope. think they do truly freeze out there to death well if they're human yes they're frozen because <laughs> <laughs> by the time they can get any kind of rescue stuff out there mm-hmm. it's too late and in, unless Kurt Russell's uh, beard miraculously, you know, insulates him from Antarctic weather. Yeah, I think it's it's an impressive beard. It is an impressive beard, but (laughs) not to a hat. Yes, the hat. (laughs) Okay, so instead of question asking if they get rescued, could they get? Say a helicopter does come in time to rescue them. What do you think happens, Don? Do you think they both get on the helicopter, or does the distrust come back and they neither one get on the helicopter? I I think that Kurt Russell's that McCready was ready to destroy both of them before letting them get out of there. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd ever get out. Even even if they did see the helicopter on the horizon, correct. Glenn, how about you? I don't you? think he would okay. risk it. What about you, Glenn? Do you think uh, if a helicopter showed up? I know this is hypothetical, but if a helicopter was on the horizon and coming, do you think they make it out of there, or does? Uh, no, McCready, McCready doesn't let them out. Mm-hmm. He, he, <laughs> he likes he likes one more uh, dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> And gives him a big old hug. <laughs> Paul, how about you? Nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's the only way, man. <laughs> but uh, if a helicopter was coming, yes, I would agree with everyone that um, McCready would, unless he is the thing, he would um, basically um, off both of them just, just because. Right. Yeah. And I would way to be sure, man. Only way to be sure. Yeah. Because at this point they've he's resigned himself that he's going to die. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's taken, he's, he's embraced this fully. He's going to die, but he's going to make sure this thing doesn't get out and infect the entire world in 27,000 hours, which uh, (laughs) it still wouldn't. Well, no, it would qualify for the partner program for YouTube. Anyway, Ouch! Um, sorry. Ouch. <laughs> oh. sorry. Uh, uh, I, I couldn't resist. But it, could it, you could you honestly think that all the subscribers would be listed as separate subscribers or just the one being? <laughs> they all be it'd just be one subscriber. So it would fail. <laughs> it would still fail. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, nuke it for more of it. But he, he, even he sees the helicopter, he offs each other because mm-hmm. he's because even if he offs childs and didn't off himself, he's the type of guy you see already who would have had, if he was human, survivor's guilt for the rest of his entire freaking life. <laughs> yes, I, I honestly think so, or be more paranoid than ever, you know. If he makes it back to the States a lot, you'll wonder, oh, am I or not? I don't think he even survives too much if he did somehow off childs and make it on a helicopter and fly back to the States or wherever. You know, he's not a sane man anymore. He, mm-hmm. you know, he probably at some point possibly even offs himself, even if he does get back to civilization. But um, he's already he's already a heavy drinker. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I mean, throughout this film, he just he's drinking like a fit. <laughs> well, that's what it was. He, he was actually on a bender, and he uh, he he hallucinated everybody as being this evil creature, and he killed everybody, <laughs> and he gets off <laughs> scot free. he's the one that actually killed everybody exactly just has alcoholic blackouts exactly that's what it was oh Uh, if he gets picked up how does he explain the fact that everyone's dead and the whole place burned down he can't say there was a shape-shifting alien (laughs) (laughs) we had a malfunction with uh the dynamite holy shit man that was a party (laughs) yeah malfunction and then they're like Wait, is that a flamethrower? Uh, no. <laughs> and then, and then the the corpse of Blair comes out of the snow and just goes oh. diabetes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> diabetes accessories. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll wrap it up tonight here on the thing uh there's plenty that you could talk about forever with this film which is what makes it such a fun movie and we'll go down the aisle here real quick and just your quick final thought with the thing and if you could recommend it to any say new horror person out there who may not have seen it and was curious about it would you recommend this original 1982 the thing not to be confused with the requel don oh absolutely i think it holds up fantastically Mm-hmm. You know, all things considered that, you know, we don't and the entertainment of seeing the old, old, nasty computer. <laughs> that chest game, man. I remember that one. That's the problem. I'm like, well, and, and not just that, the, the, the computer graphics that looked like the Pong game where the, <laughs> the, the cells were taking each other over. With Wilford Brimley's investigation, yeah, I was like, yes. "Wow, <laughs> we we couldn't even afford like stock footage of blood cells or something." Nope we we're doing this, we're doing this all practical. We're doing it live. Oh, fuck it. and even with those dated graphics, I it still works and it's still uh um I drew blank on the word. My train derailed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Glenn, how about you? Would you, uh, your final thought, and would you recommend it to a... Relevant. Oh, relevant. There you go. Don got it. (laughs) Relevant. I recommend this movie all the time to people. Mm -hmm. All the time. Like, I'll just stop random people on the street and say, have you seen John Carpenter's The Thing? And they'll be like, no. I'm like, get the fuck out of here and go home and watch it. (laughs) Moron. Get out of my country. (laughs) Might might explain a lot of the restraining orders I have, but... (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely recommend it. Nice. Paul, how about you? Unless you're a distrusting bastard, I would say I would recommend that. But if you are a distrusting individual, don't watch this because it's going to make you extremely paranoid of everybody. And I I couldn't have you as a neighbor if you did that because my house is not fireproof. (laughs) (laughs) Sucker go up like a tiki torch. (laughs) Yes, I recommend this as well. And if you're going to watch both of these films with the exact same title that are in the <laughs> series, watch this one first and then watch the requel. Um, just because it gives more impact to the first act of this film where they're doing the investigation. Um, if you haven't seen the requel already. And I will say that the, that though they did a good job of trying to match the scenes from a 1982 film. I think they did fairly well with it, but it truly was one of those things that was not needed. I don't think at all Um, because this film sets things up so well in the beginning of the film. So, so there you have it, folks, the thing, if you have not seen 1982, the thing shame on you, go see it, especially get the Blu-ray. If you can, there's a shout factory one out there. There's a couple different versions. I got the universal one looks beautiful. It shows you why we love practical effects so much because they age so much better than (laughs) CGI effects. Um, So check it out. And now we go down the line and you can find out where you can find these fine folks when they're not here. So Don, where can we find you at? In the audience.net. Fantastic. And Glenn, 
Oh my gosh. You can find me on Facebook with B Movie Bunker, Guy in the Bunker Productions. You can find my role playing games, Mist Runner and Demon Eater. You can find me uh, on my gaming podcast, The Adventure Party, which is on GNCast.com. Check me out on YouTube, maybe for a little while longer, um, <laughs> with the B Movie Bunker and Guy in the Bunker Productions. Follow me on Twitter at Guy in the Bunker or join me in Stephen's Point. This weekend, where I'll be showing people how to play The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31, the board Ooh. game. Oh, are you bringing it? Ooh. I am. Oh. Yes. <sighs> what? <laughs> I'm on call. I'm hoping to come. <laughs> come? Well, I hope I hope you can make it. <laughs> and Paul, how about you? Where can I find you at? Uh, you can find me at the Film Jerks podcast on AstroRadioZ.com, and you can also see me at the Northeast Wisconsin Horror Film Festival this October 13th and the 14th. Awesome. And yes, uh, you can find links for all their stuff on the website. Uh, thanks to Bloodsport One for joining in, even though it's late. We appreciate you even stopping by a little while in the spoiler room to listen to talk about John Carpenter's The Thing. You can find the full version on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, or just rewind to this video and listen from the beginning. We appreciate all our listeners out there. We're growing all the time. Thank you so much. And now uh, this is where we say the thing and the other thing, and we do the thing. So say say the thing, folks. The thing, folks. The thing, the thing folks. <laughs> Hey, all my spoiler group friends out there, if you like what you hear, why not head on over to iTunes and like, comment, and even subscribe to our channel. It always helps us out. Or you can find us on Stitcher Radio as well. You can drop us a tweet on the Twitter at Spoiler Room PDCS or Special Mark Pro. Look for us also on Facebook at the Spoiler Room Podcast or in the Special Mark Productions Facebook group. Let us know what movies or topics you'd like to be discussed in the Spoiler Room where the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.